All right. Well, once again, great to have everyone here this morning. Welcome. My name is Joe Crummy, one of the leaders here at Christ Center. I'm speaking this morning, and a big welcome to all of our university college students. A big welcome if maybe you were at Alpha yesterday for the first time and you're here. We want to welcome you. Maybe you're here from our Tough Talk uh, event two weekends ago, and maybe this is all new to you. Maybe it's your first Sunday here, and so we want to extend a very warm welcome to you. And as Mark said, we'd love to be able to follow up and to be able to connect more with you and to find out more your story and what God might be doing in your life. And one part of speaking on a Sunday morning is actually explaining what took place during the worship time. And that's my whole message really this morning, is to help explain from the Bible what you just hopefully experienced. Hopefully it was positive. It might be a bit out of your comfort zone. It might be new to you. You might not understand everything that's going on, but hopefully it was a positive experience. And this morning's message, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And we sang a lot about the Holy Spirit in our worship time. And maybe you've heard of God, or maybe you've even been able to maybe pray a prayer to God. Maybe you've heard about Jesus, and if you've lived any time in North America, you can't really get away from Christmas and Easter, and so maybe you've heard of Jesus, but maybe you've never heard of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to help bring some explanation to sometimes an experience happens before you even know what has happened. And for other people, we need to learn more first, and then an experience can follow, because this is all about a relationship with God. And so I want to start this morning, and I want to read from the New Testament book of Ephesians. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn in New Testament, and let me give you some background, because I know some of you might not have a Bible. Ephesians, you've never even heard that word before. Back in 2,000 years ago, there was a guy named Paul, and his former name was Saul, and he was a very religious man, but he actually didn't like Jesus, and he actually persecuted Christians. And God got a hold of his life, and he had an encounter with Jesus that changed his life, and it really changed his name from Saul to Paul, and then Paul went about the rest of his life, even though he began getting per persecuted for it, began telling people about Jesus, as I'm going to help explain here this morning, and one of the places he went to was a fascinating city called Ephesus, and you can go there. I know Marley uh, is here somewhere. I think, Marley, you've been there, haven't you? You've been at, or somewhere around there, weren't you? Yes, that was it. I knew you were over there somewhere. Well, my uh, sister and brother-in-law were in Ephesus, and they have all the photos of going to all the ruins, and it was quite a major city. And Paul went there, and he found a group of people who were very religious. And you can read about it in the book of Acts in the Bible as well. And the background story is they were very passionate for God, but they hadn't really heard of Jesus. And Paul came to them to tell them about Jesus, and he was with them for a little while, just a small group of about 12 people, and you've got to remember, they were religious people. They really had a heart for God. And Paul was with them, and he asked them a very fascinating question. So he didn't ask them, what's your theology on God, or what's your theology on Jesus? He asked them this question. He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, that's a very interesting question, isn't it? So maybe I would go to a different city, and I'm hanging out with some people, and I'm with them for a little while, I don't know if my first question would be, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? But that was the question Paul asked. And here's their answer. And I actually think it's a very common answer in our world today. We didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Very honest answer. So Paul, he must have knew something wasn't quite right. 
And he said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And we hadn't even heard of the Holy Spirit. And he goes on to say, well, what baptism did you receive? Because baptism, when you get baptized, you get put in water, underwater, you come back up, you're identifying with who you believe. And they said, well, a guy named John the Baptist who came before Jesus to tell people, we received John's baptism. And they didn't even know the full story about Jesus. So Paul stayed with them, and he explained about Jesus, as I'm going to do in a couple minutes, and about why he came from heaven to earth, why he died on a cross, as we just sang about, how he rose from the dead, as we just sang about, and what difference that makes in our lives. And these 12 guys then put their faith in Jesus. They believed Jesus as the Son of God. They believed Jesus as the way, the truth, and life. Paul baptized them in water, so they now identified with Jesus. And then Paul did this. He laid his hands on them, all he did, not to, it's just put his hands on, and he prayed for them. And this is what he prayed for. He prayed that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says, they received the Holy Spirit, and they began to prophesy, and they began speaking in other languages. So something happened. And this morning, some of that was happening here, even in our worship service. And so prophesying is just... We begin to hear the voice of God, and we get to speak out God's heart and God's will. So Janice brought that picture of the balloon and about it being flat and sort of dead and this wind coming and the air coming and bring it to life, and then it was free. That's God speaking to us through a picture that we can understand. And then was it Kelly who came with the heart, the shriveled heart, and one touch from God, and it brought back to life That's God speaking to us in pictures, images that are powerful that we can understand. And that's what happens when the Holy Spirit begins to speak through people. So Paul had this encounter with these guys in Ephesus, and he stayed there for two years explaining more about Jesus in the kingdom of God. Two years he stayed with them, says he taught, many people became believers in Jesus, And that's the church he left. And I'm telling you all that to say this is the church Paul is writing to. So we're reading someone else's letter. We're reading a letter Paul later on wrote to this church that he helped start in Ephesus. That's why we get the name Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. And in the book of Ephesians, really the first three chapters, so remember, he's writing to people. So the Holy Spirit was helping him write to his church. And really the first three chapters are reminding the people there, this is who you were when you didn't have Jesus, and this is the change that took place once Jesus was in your life. And it has to do with identity. You have a new identity now that you're a follower and a believer in Jesus Christ. You have a new identity, and that changes everything. And chapters 4, 5, and 6 are then the application of your lifestyle once you're a follower of Jesus. So Paul didn't come in and try to change everyone's lifestyle. He said, you got to know your identity first. And then out of your identity, that affects your lifestyle. And he talks a lot about we've been given someone to help us live every day, and that is the Holy Spirit. So now we can pick up the story. So if you have your Bibles, we can read together. And I'll put it up here on the screen so that you can follow along. And I had to give you that background because we're picking up the story almost towards the end of the chapter Remember that whole thing of Paul saying, this is who you used to be, this is who you are now, now here's some instruction. So this is where he picks it up. He says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. 
and find out what pleases the Lord. So find out what God wants you to do. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them, for it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. And in our culture, it's all out there on the internet to display. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And this is what happens. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then, another result of that is submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And we're going to pick up probably next week some more things as we continue on. So here's what I want to emphasize this morning. It's this whole aspect of joining with what Paul's talking about, about the importance of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And one of the first questions I want to ask you this morning, and I know I don't know all of you, so this might be a bit uncomfortable, but I'm going to ask you to think about it this week, and if you're in your life groups this week, you might have more time to be able to share about this. But I'm going to ask you the question, what fills your life? So I'm going to ask it a couple different ways. Another way is asking, what consumes your life? What is central to your life? If you took a look at your weekly schedule, what actually fills your schedule? What is the important things? What are the priorities? And I'm going to give you some. And for some of you, it's going to be sleep. And for some of you, that's going to be the last thing on your list. (laughs) But what fills our lives? Because if we're honest... And as I go through this, we have to realize something or someone fills every one of our lives. So it's not like, I don't really have an answer, that doesn't really apply to me. No, it applies to you. So let me give you some helpful hints about things that might fill your lives. For many of us, it's our job. It's our career. That's where we spend most of our time. That's what is a focus of our life. And maybe it might be your performance in your job or career. For many of you, it's your school. It's your studies. That's all consuming. And right now, we get, we get that. For some of you, it's family. And that can look all kinds of different ways, whether you're a parent, whether you're a child, however that might look. It might be relationships. It could be social things. It could be money and possessions. It could be sports or fitness. Here's one for you. Many people, you know what fills your life? Bitterness and anger. Ooh, I heard that. Ooh, and a hush falls over the crowd. For some people, it's alcohol, drugs, addictions, rule their lives. For some of you and some of us, Netflix is the central thing in our lives. And when you post on Facebook, I know what you're watching. So that's, that's just saying, just an observation. And more and more, we binge on fa- uh, Netflix because that fills our life. And we'll come back to that. Social media, I can go through all the lists. But I seriously want you to take some time this week and think about what fills your life, what consumes your life, because sometimes you've got to stop for a minute and just think about, okay, I've got to take some, an inventory of my life and what fills and consumes my life. Here's another way of asking the same question. Where do you seek comfort? Where do you seek joy? Where do you seek pleasure, hope, 
passion. So I'm asking the same question, but I'm just trying to do it different ways because the first question might, oh, I don't know what fills my life, but I'm asking this question. Where do you seek joy? Where do you seek pleasure? What gets you stirred up? What gets you passionate about something? Where do you find your comfort? Because I find it fascinating, and the Bible's very honest, folks. I find it very fascinating that Paul uses the sort of playoff between getting drunk on wine and being filled with the Holy Spirit. So Paul doesn't mess around, and 2,000 years ago, people were getting drunk. It's Frosh Week and everything else at university. University's back in college. It's not a new thing, folks. But why would Paul use this? He says, don't get drunk on wine or beer or whiskey or anything else, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So I have some more questions for you. I'm doing a lot of questioning here, aren't I? Why do people get drunk? So I wish we had the survey says we could do right now. Do we have any more cards we can pass out and people can do the top five? <laughs> Seriously, why do people get drunk? It's very common in our society. It's very common all around the world. And I think you could replace in our culture, not just getting drunk, but getting high, drugs, whatever you want to do to fill in. Well, for the sake of time, I'm going to give you a few reasons when I've talked to people about why do they get drunk. And I think this is the number one answer people give, and I'm going to call it escapism. People want to escape their everyday life. If we're honest with ourselves. Probably one of the number one reasons people get drunk is, I can't handle things. I just want some time to just do something different and get my head in a different space, and I want to experience something different from my normal life. And a lot of people hate their normal life. A lot of people are stressed out with their normal life, and I want to escape the pressures of this world. A lot of people are bored, and I want to escape. I want an alternate experience so I don't have to deal a lot of people are depressed, and I want to escape these things. A few other reasons. Peer pressure. My friends do it. I'm in a social setting. I want to fit in. It seems like everyone's doing it. And as maybe it doesn't sound like that should be a reason, when we're put in the situation, we feel pressured to join in. As I already mentioned, sometimes it's due with loneliness. There's nothing else to do. And sometimes it's a habit. We condition ourselves that if I'm in a social situation with my friends, we're going to drink. If it's Friday night, we just, what do we do? Well, we just, it's Saturday night. And then the bars will tell you it starts on Thursday night. And then it's happy hour on Monday night because, and then something's on Tuesday night and something's on Wednesday night. And very quickly, that's what happens. So Paul says this, drunkenness, and I should just say, we're talking about drunkenness. The Bible doesn't say you can't have a drink, and if your conscience allows you to have a drink, have a drink. If you feel like you shouldn't drink at all, don't drink at all. It's a secondary thing, so that's for you to decide, and if you see another person drinking, and it's just one drink, and they're not drunk, don't put them down, and if you have one drink, don't pressure someone who doesn't want to drink, so that's my little caveat. Paul says, don't get drunk, because this is what happens when you get drunk, and he uses a very interesting word that we don't use very often. He says this, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Can anyone give me an explanation for debauchery? Because I didn't have one. 
I'm going to give you the dictionary definition. Debauchery, so drunkenness leads to debauchery. What does debauchery mean? Here's the dictionary definition. To lead into a life of depraved self-indulgence. I'm going to say that again. Drunkenness leads to debauchery, and debauchery is to be led into a life of depraved self-indulgence. So I'm just going to simplify it. Paul's saying, when you get drunk, really, it's a selfish thing. And Paul's contrasting getting drunk with wine, which leads to selfishness. He's contrasting to this. He's saying, instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So folks, when we are trying to help people, a lot of the times, we know people are addicted to things. We know people get drunk. And as much as we might try to help them, it's very hard to help people say no to something if you don't provide an alternative. That's just basic, some common sense there, is they're into something harmful, and you just try to keep saying to them, say no, say no, say no. It probably doesn't work very often. But if you can turn people to say, there's an alternative, then they're more likely to at least have an option to go to the alternative, which then, if they get preoccupied with the alternative, it's a whole lot easier to say no to what they were involved in. And Paul's saying this, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. It's self-selfish. It's depraved. It leads you down a life of depraved self-indulgence, and that road leads to hell. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what I find, how do I say this? I'll just say sad is probably the best way to say it. What I find sad is that many people do not know that the Holy Spirit has been given as a helper and to help us in life. And so I'm going to explain how we get the Holy Spirit in a minute. But the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, in John 14, 15, and 16, that's one of the books of the Bible, John, who was with Jesus, wrote about and he recorded Jesus' words. And in John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus, before he died, began to explain who the Holy Spirit is. Because Jesus is saying, boys, I'm out of here. And it's better that I'm going than if I stayed. And you can imagine, if you know anything about Jesus, what an awesome, incredible thing it would be to be with Jesus, how stressed out you would be to say, Jesus is going, and we're going to be on our own, and you said it's even better that I go. How is that possible? And Jesus said this, I'm going to send someone just like me. But instead of being physically in one place at one time, the Holy Spirit, who's the spirit of truth and the comforter and the counselor and your helper and your advocate and your paraclete, the one who comes alongside, he's going to be with every single one of you. So no matter where you go, even if you're physically not with Jesus, Jesus is going to be with you by his Holy Spirit. So if you need help, we have a helper who wants to help us. When we need counsel, we have the counselor who's able to help and speak to us and give us advice and give us direction. When we're stuck and we don't understand things, we have a teacher who comes and reveals and brings understanding and brings enlightenment to us when we try to understand the word of God. When we're troubled, we have peace that comes by the Holy Spirit that the world can't give. The Holy Spirit gives joy no matter what our circumstances these are the things the Holy Spirit is and does for those who believe in Jesus Christ. And what I have found 
in my 40-some years of experience, is two things happen. One is, people who don't know Jesus think Jesus is just a religion, and it's doing things in your own strength to try to do right from wrong, and it's boring. That's a main thing. That's categorizing, but that's what a lot of people think. And I've met many Christians who are trying to live out that exact thing, who are trying in their own strength to say, I want to please God, and that's good, but I feel powerless to do it, and there's no joy in their life. And I'll take it to another extreme, and I'll get very personal with you. I'm getting old enough now to know a lot of different things and meet a lot of different people and have a lot of different experiences. And I know people, yesterday was the whole World Suicide uh, Intervention Day and recognizing that, I've had many friends who've committed suicide who I know didn't know about Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And they were alone even though they looked popular and they had it all together and they had scholarships and they had everything but they didn't have peace with God. And they didn't know this good news. And it's our responsibility as church leaders and us as fellow Christians to say, there's good news. That we have a God who loves us, who demonstrated it, as I'm going to explain in a moment, by sending Jesus. And when Jesus returned, as we sang about, he returned, and we're looking forward to him coming again, he said this, when I go back to heaven, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he is going to be with you forever. And that's an individual thing and we'll probably look at next week. That's a corporate together as a church. The Holy Spirit will be our helper and he will fill us. And we can have peace and we can have joy in the midst of certain. It doesn't mean still not a battle and tough days and all of that but folks, you don't have to be alone. And the Holy Spirit helps you to be like Jesus in character and everything else, but then he also empowers you to do the things that Jesus did. And I noticed some of you this week, there was a clip on uh, Facebook by John, about John Wimber, who led a vineyard group of churches, and he died several years ago. And John Wimber was known for the love of God, but he was also known for signs and wonders. So wherever John Wimber went, it just seemed like people got healed and miracles happened. And someone put a clip on Facebook this week of an interview on CBS in 1995 with Dan Rather, I think it was. And he told his story, and he told the story about he was totally like, he was on drugs, he was, not, he was far from God, and God radically got a hold of his life. And he went to church three weeks in a row, and nothing happened. And he's reading the book of Acts, and he's saying people being healed, and Jesus multiplying fish, and all these different things. So he said after the third week, he was quite concerned, so he went up to the leader, and he said, when do we get to do the stuff? And the leader is like, what do you mean, when do we get to do the stuff? And he's like, well, when do we get to do the stuff that Jesus did, you know, like multiply fish, and, you know, people getting healed, and eyes being opened, and everything, and the guy was like, oh, we believe in that, but that never happens. And he said, dude, he said, he said, I was depressed. He's like, I gave up drugs. I gave up everything. And I want to do the stuff. And he said, and he, this is what he said. When I was following Satan, I got to do the things Satan did. If I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, I want to do the things that Jesus did. And that can only happen if we're filled with the Holy Spirit. 
We want to lay hands on the sick and see them made well. We want to be able to say, our God is mighty to save. We want depressed people to be made well and made whole. We want joy. We want life. We want dead balloons on the ground to be filled, to fly and be who God wants them to be. We want shriveled hearts to be touched by the finger of Jesus and made whole and full of life that then can give life. That's our heart. Now, I'm going to answer, and we're going to finish with this. How can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, I mentioned earlier about a guy named John the Baptist who came before Jesus. He was sent before Jesus, and sorry, I've gone past all my notes, so I'm not even going to bother clicking, okay? So those of you who are ready to write, just be filled with the Holy Spirit. Just write it down over and over and over again, okay? So John the Baptist was sent by God to prepare the way for Jesus, and John the Baptist lived at the same time as Jesus, and he said two important things, and two important things about Jesus. And one of them was this. When he first saw Jesus, and God showed him, this is Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, he said this to the people around him. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So I'm going to explain that in a second. That's one of the things he said. Look, Jesus, there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then he also said this. This is the second thing he said about Jesus. He, that's Jesus, is going to be the one who baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. Because at the time, John was baptizing people for repentance in water. So people are used to the term baptism. They went down to the river. They were plunged under, immersed, drenched. It was tangible that they got wet. And John's using the same word to say, look, there's Jesus. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Woof. Interesting that Janice said, they cold air, and then they brought in hot air, and there's fire. I was like, that's very biblical, because Jesus is going to baptize us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So John said this, first of all, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And I won't do justice to it this morning, but in the Old Testament, if we look, and you might have heard about a guy named Moses, and you might have even seen a movie about Moses, and you maybe you've heard about Egypt and ten plagues and all these different things. And God said to Moses, tell the people of Israel who were under bondage and slavery to Egypt, I'm going to deliver them, and I'm going to send my angel of death, because this is serious business, and what I want you to do, tell my people, if they take a lamb, and they kill the lamb, and they take the blood, and they put it over their doorposts, the angel of death will pass them over. And you might have heard of the Jewish celebration of Passover. That's what they're celebrating is Passover. The angel of death passed over if it saw the blood. And that was a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do. Because we have some issues that we have to deal with in our lives. We've got our sin issue, which I'll try to explain. There's different ways you can explain it. Sin is what separates us from God, and sin is what we do that disobeys God, and a lot of times we're rebellious, and if we're honest with ourselves, we realize we're actually being rebellious towards God. We know we should do this, but we choose to do this. That's one aspect. Sin is also this. Sin is when we don't have God at the center of our lives, because the Bible says we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and when I went back to that first question about what consumes us and what fills us, most of the time we realize it's not God. So we're to and then a whole bunch of things happen. We sang about it in the songs this morning. Things 
are, happen to us that mess us up. So people sin against us and people abuse us and then we get messed up from that. And folks, we can't fix ourselves. We've got a sin issue. We've got a death issue that we're all going to die. And many of us are fearful of dying. And we've got a real enemy. And it doesn't get talked about very much because the devil does a good job of fooling people into thinking that there's no real devil. But if there's a God and there's evil in the world, then there's a devil. And we have a problem with an enemy that Jesus said wants to rob, kill, and destroy. And John the Baptist said, look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So we just sang about it. We looked up and we saw our Lord dying on a tree. Jesus went to the cross. He lived a perfect life. He didn't deserve death. If you look at the Easter story, even those who weren't Christians understood, this guy, what did he ever do? But people wanted to crucify him. He willingly went to the cross. He died on the cross. And he was the Lamb of God. That his blood was shed and the Bible says, if we put our trust and our hope in Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior, it's like the blood on the doorpost. Is that the payment of sin gets paid for. Death is dealt with. We escape death because we're going to live with Jesus. That's why we have such a glorious hope. The power of sin is broken. And the wrongs and the hurts done to us, God begins a healing work. In some of our songs we sing, out of ashes we rise. It's that, that dead balloon into a beautiful balloon. It's a shriveled heart into a living, beautiful thing. That's what God does through Jesus Christ. That's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then, not only that, that's incredible enough. He gives us His Holy Spirit. And He fills us with His Holy Spirit. And we are immersed, drenched, filled with His Holy Spirit that we know that God loves us because the Holy Spirit does this. He gives us assurance that we're loved by God. And if you've ever struggled with, do I feel loved? Do I feel accepted? Do I feel like I belong? All those things. The Holy Spirit puts that in our heart to say, yes, we know that we belong to God. And he's a good father. And we rely on that. He gives us boldness to be able to be a witness to what God's done in your life. And before I was filled with the Holy Spirit, man, I was shy. I was a closet Christian. I went to church every Sunday. I never told anyone because I was a bit embarrassed. I wasn't even sure if I was saved. I didn't even really know if God loved me. So how could I tell somebody else that God loves them? And when I was filled with the Spirit, I had an assurance that God loved me. And this, I had a boldness. It wasn't me just trying to whip up strength or me trying to like guilt myself into something. No, it was a supernatural empowering and enabling to be able to share this good news that God has done. Because I'm a witness to what God's done in my life. And he puts the fruit of the Spirit into our lives of love, peace, joy, faithfulness, goodness, self-control, all these different things that we try to do on our own that we just fail. His grace comes and he helps us. That's being filled with the Holy Spirit. And he gives us gifts. Gifts of healing, gifts of administration, gifts of service. It's an incredible thing. And next week we'll look at how that works together. Because this command of being filled with the Holy Spirit is individual, but it's for the whole church as well. And so we need, we need both. Because I'll say this, it's not all about you, but it includes you. <laughs> now I'm going to end with this, because we want to give time for people to respond. We'd love to be able to pray with people this morning.
A couple of things. How do we get filled? We need to come to Jesus. That is the answer to being filled with the Holy Spirit. You might say, oh, I really like all these things. You can't avoid it. I think I do have one more point. There we go. I'm only getting through my first point today, folks, so you can be glad for that. We come to Jesus. We come to the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. And this is what we do. The Bible calls it repentance. We turn from what consumed us before, and we turn to Jesus. And we say, Jesus, now I want you to be the center of my life. And I turn from old ways, and the Bible calls it repentance. A 180-degree turn, and we change our mind, we change our thinking, and now we're putting our faith and trust in Jesus. Jesus, you are now in control. We sang about it in those songs, didn't we? I give my life. I give everything. I surrender to Jesus. We say we're sorry. We say, God, I am sorry for the things that I've done, that I've lived my life without you. I've rebelled against you. Whatever God brings to mind, you can confess those things, ask for God's forgiveness. And then you receive. You receive. You receive forgiveness from Jesus, even though we don't deserve it. We receive the Holy Spirit. We receive a new identity. We receive into a new family. And you pray, and we want you to pray, Jesus, would you come and fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can be empowered to live the life that you want me to live? Now, here's the thing. When Paul says, instead, be filled with the Spirit, in the Greek, it's a present continuous, which means this. It should actually be more translate this. Go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. So even if you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm going to encourage you this morning to go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because that's why I gave you that history in Ephesus. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, at least those 12. And then Paul says to them, go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's not just a one-time experience, it's go on being filled. So that applies to all of us here this morning. And it's our choice. And I'm going to end with this. Is that as you're filled with the Holy Spirit, this is key. You begin to hear the voice of Jesus in your life. And you begin to understand that God is speaking to you. And he's probably been speaking to you for a long time. You just didn't under and know his voice. Now, in America, important day today, 9-11, remembering 9-11. And right up there, if I'm honest, with America, today is very important because it's the first Sunday of the NFL, which is the National Football League. Don't ask me how I know that, but I just heard a rumor that the NFL first Sunday in NFL starts today, which is a big deal in North America, not just the States. Now, I might have said this one before, so some of you, if you heard it before, don't give away the answer. The most important position in football is the quarterback, because the quarterback always gets the ball to start the play and dictates everything else that goes on. What is the one thing, equipment-wise, that's different with the quarterback from any other player? Don't say anything, Joel. You're allowed to shout it out. Shoulder pads, that's one thing. Helmet. Helmet. Betty, well done. You're ready to... <laughs> so if you are watching football and the quarterback gets the ball, you don't have to know anything about football, but you might see this. The quarterback has a green dot on the back of his helmet so that when he's on the sidelines, they know it's his helmet. And in that helmet, he actually has earpieces that he gets directions from the coach way up in the box. And that makes him different from every other player on the field, and those who play defense 
bear with me, we'll get that to another day, okay? Because <laughs> I know the football guys are going to say, well, there's a guy on defense that has a, don't go there, don't ruin my analogy, okay? My illustration. The quarterback, the green dot, gets to play, because why? Because the coach is up here, and guess what the coach can see? The coach can see a whole lot more than the player on the field, and the coach knows the opposition, the coach knows what defense they're playing, and the coach calls in the play, and this is what you'll hear a lot of the time, or this is what you'll see in football games, the quarterback, they're all huddled, everyone's in the huddle, and the quarterback's on the side, and he's doing this. And you can think, that quarterback really has a headache. He can't even, <laughs> he probably does. But what he's doing is, you got 70,000 people yelling and screaming, everyone's going ballistic, and what's he trying to do? He's trying to hear the voice of the coach. So he separates himself, he puts his hand over his helmet, and you can see him. You can see him walking around like this. And you think, He's not just got a concussion. He's actually really paying attention. And what does he do? He gets, he comes back in, he gives all the orders to everyone else, and they begin the play. Now here's my football illustration. And Noah, I said that I would throw this to you today. You ready? There we go. Bad throw. That was on me. <laughs> I'm going to end with this. So maybe if the worship team can come and get ready. So don't look at the worship team. Follow me. Every one of us, this is true, so even if you don't like football, forget, bear with me. Every one of us is in the game of life. Every single one of us. And it's a real game. It's not even a game. It's real life. And in football, you've got 12 guys, or 11, depending upon where you're playing, out, and you've got 70,000 people watching. In our lives, you are in the game of life. There's no one sitting on the sidelines. You're in a battle. And whether you know it or not, you're in a battle. There's a heaven and a hell and a God and a devil. And the Bible says that you're in a battle for your soul and for your life. And Jesus talked about this. And in the game, a lot of times the quarterbacks, what do they try to do? They try to go solo. They don't listen to their coach. They call the plays, and a couple things happen. Sometimes, you know what? They actually get it right. They pull it off. And sometimes in our lives, you know what we can do? We are actually pretty good, and we pull a lot of things off, and we kind of think, you know what? I don't really need God. I'm doing pretty good by myself. Thank you very much. A second thing happens is the play gets all messed up. They should have listened to the coach. And some of us, you know what? We got messed up lives, and you're just like, man, I got a messed up life and I need to hear from somebody. And we have a choice. Because if you don't listen to the coach, that goes on so long, but it can only take one hit, one misplay, and that quarterback can be out of the game. So you can get away with it for so long. And Jesus said this, what does it profit a man or a woman to gain the whole world and yet lose their soul? So I'm speaking to two extremes here today. I'm speaking to some of you who think, you know what, I don't really need God because my life's going pretty good. Don't buy that lie. And some of you are thinking, you know what, I'm too far gone. I could never be in the game. And Jesus is saying to you, you're in your game. You're in the game of life that I have you on, and I want to help you. And we have a choice to make every day, and some of us need to do this. Some of us need to go, and we need to stop and actually hear the voice of God to get some direction for our lives. That happens by going on being filled with the Holy Spirit. So we're going to sing a song, and we're going to lead into a time of praying. 
and responding. And you might respond three ways here this morning. You might respond for the first time saying, you know what, I don't even know Jesus, Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. You need to meet the good shepherd in order to hear his voice. Some of you maybe have already done that. You know you're a Christian, but you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit. We would love to be able to pray for you today to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And some of you are a Christian. Some of you, I know I've been filled with the Holy Spirit, but I'm dry. We want to go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. So let's sing, and then we'll give you some more direction on how to receive prayer. So if you're able, let's stand together. And Angela and the team are going to lead us. And then we'll give some more direction on how we can pray for you.